it's a very beautiful mechanism and and this is something which cannot be created we've been uh, blessed with it uh, and actually if you really want to take care of something that you've been gifted with uh, i think the best way that you can do is to ensure that you do no harm and i think uh, the way we can ensure that we function optimally and all our systems function optimally uh, we need to ensure that we maintain that physiology uh, which the body designed itself to work in in and not to create certain mechanisms which are making it pathological or or disease oriented Hello everyone this is Vikas and you are listening to Run with Fit page today is episode number 141 of the podcast and today we have someone for the third time on the podcast yes i'm talking about dr j muthukrishnan brigadier muthukrishnan who has been kind enough to accept to speak with us again and again the topics that we have been covering have been so important that we thought it will be even more important to spend time in understanding more about our bodies why it is important that i'm not covering a lot about performance of late it is because we perform later we are human beings first we need to understand about ourselves a gift that's been given to us something that is so good and gracious that we need to keep preserving it and we do not need to waste it we do not need to damage it i'm not trying to be a philosopher but trust me you will understand a lot as you go through this conversation today in the conversation today we will talk about various systems of the body right from reproduction to restoration we will talk about various systems in a way as how these come together cohesively to form the body structure the body and move the body and also keep repairing keep restoring and then move again we will talk about everything from endocrine system to cardiovascular cardiorespiratory system to musculoskeletal system we will talk about almost everything that you would have thought of from a biology point of view that comes at in a in a very layman's perspective you will see there be certain questions that you and i will relate a lot with because we've had these questions at some point and we didn't know how to get answers to those we have looked up on internet we have looked up on some certain answers some may be true some may not be true and so we thought let's go to the very basics and understand what happens to the body and in fact how the body has evolved itself and what it's made of how does it perform how does it perceive threat as a threat how does it recover from issues and how does it restores itself what it takes for us to live a good and a fulfilling life again not being a philosopher but trying to make sense of something that's generally very complex but being said by someone very qualified in a very simple digestible easy format for you to understand for me to understand let's welcome dr muthu krishnan to the show and understand next 100 minutes all about it
Dr. Muthukrishnan again. This is third time, the only speaker who is coming on the podcast for the third time. Um, welcome to the show. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you again uh, with us today. Our podcasts have been extremely successful and we have gotten great reviews and uh, that is how we are coming back and speaking again. Thank you very much. It's equally uh, been uh, educative experience for me as well. Uh, and I really feel that creating awareness is a responsibility, not just a task for every doctor. And uh, the more we do, the better. So I think we can go ahead. Uh, and the topic that you've chosen for today seems exactly uh, tailor-made to create that kind of awareness. Right. Thank you so much. And uh, like what you said, it's um, intended to raise awareness and uh, we will be talking about, uh, um, in a way, in one hour, we'll be talking about the human biology and uh, everything about, not everything, but almost everything at a very broad level about human body. And uh, the, the sole purpose of bringing this to our audience was that um, they need to understand um, what is human body made of, how it generally operates, how it generally functions. And uh, once they make sense of it, they will also be able to make sense of uh, what happens to the body through different stressors, different life situations, what changes in them that may cause certain situations. And uh, they should just not be thinking of that God has given us this body so we are immune for our lifetimes and if something happens, it's happening by chance or that's my luck. It may be that there are a number of things that have been brewing at the, at the background and we are not aware of it. So I thought by the end of this conversation today, people will understand a little more about themselves, a little more about their body and be able to take certain informed decisions that may lead to whether it's a whether it's a further diagnosis, intervention, or anything else, and uh, that is why this uh, conversation. So you might see that, um, and as we were discussing backstage, that some of my questions may be very very basic. So please forgive me, um, because um, I'm just an enthusiast that is trying to bring um, information about um, exercise science, uh, um, biology to uh, people, but. I am no expert, and so my questions may be lay, uh, pretty layman, uh, but maybe very, very relevant from a layman's perspective as well. So bear with me as we go through these, uh, these questions. How about we start from the very basic? When we think of ourselves, we generally think that human body is a, it's a gift that's been given by the God to us at a very broad level. And, uh, but there is more to it. Our body is made in a particular way. And somehow all of us are made uh, in, a, in a very similar way at a very broad level. So how about we understand that what exactly is human body and what is it made of? Yeah, so if you start from where it all begins is the time when a sperm and an ovum, uh, sperm from the father and the ovum from the mother comes together uh, and what we call as fertilization. And that's where the uh, zygote is formed. So till then, they are two individual cells. They have their own genetic material inside. And when they get joined together, they uh, fuse and form what is called a zygote. And thereafter, it uh, sort of starts off a process of cell division. 
which happens at a very rapid pace. And the initial lot of cells is just a collection of many cells which are, they all look similar and they just increase in numbers. But they are what we call them as pluripotent uh, cells in the sense that they have the potential of uh, plurality. Like they can sort of grow into any uh, tissue or organ and thereafter a system. So if you see that's the hierarchy, a cell joining together to form a multicellular structure which then forms, uh, takes over one kind of a function which is then called a tissue which is basically a collection of cells having a similar kind of function and thereafter this tissue may further specialize to form an organ and an organ may have multiple types of tissues within it uh, so that it can carry out a function which is more complex than what one cell or uh, a tissue can do uh, and thereafter uh, organ put together multiple organs put together can form an organ system which are carrying out a particular complex task in the body and overall all these systems eventually have to sort of coordinate within themselves to maintain what we call as uh, homeostasis uh, as in uh, a state of harmony within each of those systems and within the system each of the organs uh, and within the organs each of the tissues so it's it's a very complex uh, kind of orchestra playing inside us all the time whether we are awake or uh, sleeping and you can understand that at at the most complex level when we are functioning right now we all started from that one uh, cell joining with another uh, and then growing now going back to where it starts it requires certain genetic material which decides this direction uh, the initial direction being whether we'll become a boy or a girl, uh, which comes from one part of our chromosome. The rest of it are uh, like we have 23 pairs. So it's one pair which decides the gender, uh, which is either XX for a female or XY for a male. And the rest of the 22 pairs are what are called autosomes. They are common for both males and females, uh, mostly. And uh, they decide the various, the genetic material they carry uh, decides the various tissues and organ systems that would eventually form. They have the material which creates uh, code which will generate various tissues, uh, proteins, uh, complex materials which can synthesize a organ system and eventually grow up. There is so much of variation within the amount of genetic material that is there in these 23 pairs of chromosomes that you have a varying uh, type of people uh, if you look at in a population. Uh, but overall, if you look at us, all of us have some kind of organ system which can create and do that function. But there is a lot of variation basically because of the variation in the genetic material that we all have, whether it's the appearance, whether it's the uh, psychological factors, whether it's the way a liver would function. Uh, whether the way uh, the kidneys would function, they all have uh, different variations and this variation comes from the variation in the genetic material that we all have. So just to simplify this complex thing, that's how we all start and reach a level where we can perform a complex task. We all have evolved over 
many generations now starting from unicellular organ uh, organisms which are like amoeba they are those which can free live freely as a single cell but uh, gradually evolves into uh, the creatures which were living in water then becoming amphibians which could live in both water and land and then terrestrial uh, which became the, uh, the birds and mammals which came on to the land uh, and this change of the environment from one part of the earth to the other where there is abundance of water to abundance of land uh, there are changes that had to be brought in and that's evolution that ensured that we could live in water while we were fishes and we could live in land while we were mammals so that's again this is variation that has happened to the same genetic material uh, over generations that now we have a genetic material which is very complex and create uh, a, as complex a being uh, as human being so right. that's how i could summarize all this awesome now it's uh, already it's a um... it's a lot of content coming together and it just makes so much sense um, it was fairly easy uh, to understand as well um in context of humans um the entire body uh, that's been made like we start from one cell that is coming together with the other cell and um, and we are born after we are born we start to grow and um, from being an infant to a kid to a teenage and uh, uh, becoming an adult growing uh, old over a period of time we go through various um, uh, on a time scale we go through various situations conditions etc and uh, as we as we start to grow we start to become more and more aware and at times rather most of the times not as aware uh, about ourselves because academically we only study so much and and then we start to specialize in something which will take us from a uh, financial stability and independence point of view will make it viable for us um i was thinking we spend more time in understanding now various systems of the body where we reached uh, and we uh, we started with the cell when we are thinking of various systems that are uh, working in harmony with each other uh, within the body what are some of these core systems that are carrying out different roles and what is the hierarchy that is there within the body that like how the brain is uh, is possibly governing all other systems how um, how heart is functioning how different uh, systems are coming together if a layman has to understand that body how should they understand the hierarchy within the body yeah so these systems are fairly complex uh, and uh, if you look at a uh, embryo which is there inside uh, mother's uterus while the fertilization has occurred and it started growing into a fetus uh, or a small baby as as we see the uh, initial all the organs are formed uh, inside and usually this starts around 4 to 6 weeks of uh, after the fertilization and that's the time you can find every organ in a small scale already present uh, and then it starts growing and further specializing but functionally all of them may not be required at that stage because the mother maintains the fetus so to say uh, but if you see the heart would start functioning in the child in the fetus 
and the basic reason being that the blood has to circulate inside the fetus as well to ensure uh, each of those tissues which are now growing into organ systems require the adequate uh, energy uh, that's required and the various metabolites that are required to grow. Uh, it also needs to ensure that all the waste that is produced in the process has to be excreted. So it has to have its own kidney and the genitourinary system. The lungs are already formed, but you don't need, uh, the baby inside cannot breathe because there is no air. It's, uh, it's actually floating inside water and it's actually drowned in what is called the amniotic fluid inside the uterus. So the lungs actually are not functioning uh, while inside the, the lungs for a fetus are the mother and the mother would take the impure blood and make it oxygenated and give it back to the fetus. Lungs would only function once the baby comes out at birth and takes the first breath. And that's when the lungs immediately start getting inflated and start functioning. So you require a uh, definitely you require a cardiovascular system, you require a genitourinary system. Now, these are the two major systems that would start functioning. Of course, they have to function uh, under the command of the master system that is the nervous system. So the brain has already started developing with various connections. It has its own uh, two types of connections which ensures that signals would go from the master to various tissues and organs. One is wired system, which is the nervous system. Then there is a chemical system, which is like a Wi-Fi. So uh, there is no wire, but these hormones and the cytokines or chemicals can be secreted from one place and go to the other and act there uh, without there being a direct contact between these two tissues. Uh, so these, these systems would start functioning much earlier. Uh, thereafter, the, once the baby is, the, is born, uh, like I said, the respiratory system uh, starts functioning and which involves basically the lung getting inflated with air and then taking over the function of oxygenating blood. Uh, and, and that's because the umbilical cord would then get severed off. So there is no connection between the fetus and the mother. And that's the time when the lungs have to inflate, take the impure blood, uh, oxygenate it, and it comes back through the uh, veins from the lung into the heart again and then gets pumped uh, into the aorta which is the main uh, artery in the body which supplies pure blood to all the tissues and once the impure bloods come back through the veins they would come back uh, and then go from the right side of the heart back to the lungs where they would get oxygenated so this system is fairly interlinked so that's why uh, cardio respiratory if you look at these two, they are almost like twins and one affects the other. We would uh, talk more in details about that later. Uh, so all these systems would start functioning the moment uh, fetus is born and then mature as time goes and evolve. The brain, uh, when it is, the, the moment the fetus is born, the brain is already functioning, but then it has to uh, further become mature in the sense that Initially, all the wires may not be insulated as well. They start getting insulated and forming more complex wiring systems inside the body. And so the initial few years, especially the first two to three years are very important while the child grows because that's the time the brain is maturing and taking over all the functions of various parts of the brain. And this is the crucial time in which 
the other things which the other systems which supply the brain especially the endocrine system and in the endocrine system if i look at uh, one of the most important hormone systems which uh, ensures that the brain grows well is the thyroid and this thyroid gland has to start functioning right when the baby is still inside and this happens uh, at around 6 weeks that's when the thyroid starts growing but then the mother's thyroid gland is enough to supply thyroid hormones but once the child is out uh, this thyroid hormone comes purely from the baby's thyroid gland and the brain would only develop well if thyroid gland is functioning normally otherwise what uh, we used to call as cretins uh, cretins are Uh, they have mental subnormality to a more severest severest form because the thyroid gland was not functioning and there is severe form of iodine deficiency you don't see all that now but if the thyroid gland due to some reason is not functioning in the initial 2 3 years then the child can end up having mental subnormality which cannot be retrieved uh so this is how each of these systems would function so if i start counting one system uh, downwards we've spoken about the cardiovascular system we've spoken about the respiratory system we've spoken about the nervous system to slightly more in detail nervous system involves the central and peripheral nervous system central nervous system being the brain and the spinal cord and so basically the brain is inside the skull and the spinal cord is like a long tube of wires which contains a lot it's like a duct which contains multiple wires which go down right from the brain till the point where the spinal cord ends to, uh, uh, somewhere near where uh, our seat sitting bone is or the uh, the spinal cord is ending and at that's the point at which all the wires would come out of the vertebral column uh, and uh, they would supply rest of the body so the upper limb the lower limb the abdomen uh the chest all these are supplied by wires which are coming out of the spinal cord from there uh so th- this then becomes the peripheral nervous system uh, which supply right till the peripheral organs which are for for functioning as a motor system that's the muscle and functioning as a sensory system that's right up to the skin where uh, the perceptions are perceived like touch pain temperature or certain more specialized sensations like uh, vision through the eyes or hearing through the uh, ears or taste through the tongue so these are uh, specialized sensations so you have the sensory system and the motor system coming as part of the peripheral nervous system going into the central nervous system which is through the spinal cord into the brain and brain has various centers which takes care of these inputs which come from various uh, peripheral organs collates it and then ensures that adequate commands are given to ensure this harmony is maintained then a very important uh, system is the gastrointestinal system so before we get to that i have a i have a question um just so i understand it correctly so so are we saying that the brain gets uh, the uh, gets all the messages from different systems through the spinal cord um so is that how it receives and then gives the command again via the spinal cord so is that a like a two way uh, transportation that's happening uh no it's not that simple everything doesn't may not go through the spinal cord uh you Got have uh, you have what is called the 
uh, autonomous nervous system there's one part of the um, nervous system which is not under our control and thankfully so these are these are organ systems which should not shut down at any time irrespective of what we think about it say for example the heart or the lungs uh, so these are autonomous nervous system which is basically sympathetic and parasympathetic we call them now these are also controlled by, by the brain a part of the brain which uh, is called the hypothalamus it has these centers which control however these are nerve fibers which go through the spinal cord some go through the various cranial nerves which are there coming out of the brain which directly go from the skull out into the body do not go uh, necessarily through the spinal cord Uh, there is something called a sympathetic tract, which is goes parallel to the spinal cord. So, autonomous nervous system is a separate uh, entity altogether, which functions in a in parallel to the somatic nervous system. And the somatic nervous system, if you look at, is basically what is under our control. This is what we perceive. Uh, so, it has two parts, which is the motor system and the sensory system. so sensory system is what gives us the perceptions of the environment so which has all these things like pain touch temperature vibration so all these sensations are perceived they have the peripheral sense organs which are present in our skin uh, and from the peripheral sense organs they are carried by nerve fibers which go through the uh, skin and into the tissues in the in the limbs and uh, various muscles it enters the spinal cord and from there on they go in a kind of a duct right till the brain and part of the brain which is called thalamus which is the master sensory control it basically takes care of all the sensations which are coming from all over the body and and then takes it from thalamus into part of the uh, if you look at the brain uh, what we normally see in a image of a brain is like a it's like a skull cap uh, like how the uh, old time if you remember the people sitting in the courts would wear something like a, a serrated kind of a skull uh, cap now that is what is called the cerebral cortex and, and that cerebral cortex is the most complex uh, layer of the brain which actually has come into evolution and it's the humans which have the thickest cerebral cortex compared to all other animals which are inferior to us and this part of the cerebral cortex is called the parietal cortex and that is the sensory cortex so from thalamus these fibers would go to parietal cortex where a more specialized synthesis of all the information coming from the sensory nervous system is perceived and from the motor cortex which is the frontal part of the brain somewhere just in under the forehead Uh, is what is called the frontal cortex which is the supplier of motor system and these fibers then go through the spinal cord through the brain into the spinal cord and then go through the uh, come out through the spinal cord as nerves and supply the limbs uh, the upper limb lower limb and various muscles and that's how if i just could give an example of how nervous system would function is that if i happen to touch a thing which is hot uh my my fingers would perceive the temperature and the protective mechanism of our body is to withdraw otherwise my hand would get burnt 
so once this sensation is perceived this sensation has to be carried right till the parietal cortex in the way that i just mentioned through the thalamus and thereafter the parietal cortex has to inform the frontal cortex that this is something which is hot and it can harm my hand so i must withdraw and then the frontal cortex has to synthesize this information and pass it on through the spinal cord to the muscles of my upper limb uh, and and my elbow my shoulders have to flex by the action of my deltoid my biceps muscles and ensure that my hand has withdrawn otherwise i get burnt so this is the whole process which happens so quickly that we don't realize but this is how complex are and this is homeostasis otherwise we won't survive got it got it sorry you were at the point uh, of um, talking about the next system i think you were talking about the gastro um, and and uh, that's what i stopped you yeah so f- to ensure that we get adequate energy uh, from what we eat uh, we need to uh, take that food inside and digest it and then break it down to smaller more simpler uh, forms which can then be absorbed into the blood circulation so what we eat are complex things like carbohydrates proteins uh, fats which cannot be absorbed unless broken down so once we eat uh, it goes through the uh, mouth esophagus stomach and thereafter into the intestines where we have enzymes which are basically enzymes which can break down carbohydrates can break down proteins and fat and all these enzymes come from mainly the pancreas which has two parts uh, which is also a part of gastrointestinal system so it has two parts one is the exocrine and the endocrine so the exocrine part of pancreas produces these enzymes which can break down the carbohydrates into more simpler so starches are more complex things that we eat can be broken down to more simpler carbohydrates like glucose or galactose and this then can be absorbed into the blood circulation through the intestinal surface and then but these simpler forms cannot be kept for long because they don't have that kind of life they have they are only good because they can be immediately used for making energy but since all that we eat at any time is not going to be utilized as energy immediately it needs to be stored and this storage would be again a reverse process of converting this simpler form to a more complex form like carbohydrate uh, glucose getting converted to a storage form called glycogen which can get stored in liver mainly uh, but it would also get stored in other organs like uh, muscle and this process happens both for carbohydrates and as well for protein and fat so proteins are broken down to amino acids absorbed amino acids can then be converted or sort of made into more complex form like protein or individual amino acids can be used by various tissues to form their own proteins that they require because every organ system requires a different protein for example if the exocrine part of pancreas has to make an enzyme which is a protein it would take this amino acid from what has been digested recently take this amino acid and make that enzyme in the pancreas which can be utilized again so every organ has its own protein to be synthesized similarly fat uh, is a complex uh, thing that we eat and once it's broken down it's into triglycerides and further down into fatty acids and glycerol and this fatty acids and glycerol can then be taken up and then be combined together and form into various uh, more complex structures like triglyceride or cholesterol and then stored in the body 
and then utilized for synthesis of various things which require fat or lipids so that's the role yeah i have a i have a question here um so um i have two three questions but uh, to stay with uh, first carbohydrate um protein fat and fiber that's consumed by us um each of these go through a different process of breaking down um is that is that correct yes okay and and the body identifies um um what all are we eating which part of it is protein which one is fat which one is carb and we don't have to eat separately right correct so so that's a, like a cocktail of enzymes in the intestine which would act in the cocktail of food that we eat so everything gets broken down by the individual enzymes that would act so for example a proteolytic enzyme will not act on carbohydrate but then every time we eat carbohydrate there is some amount of protein there so that proteolytic enzyme acts on protein the carbohydrate enzymes like amylase it's called so it would act on carbohydrates there is there are lipase enzymes which break down lipids so they would act so amylase lipase and proteolytic enzymes uh, all these would also be there in uh, in the uh, sort of uh, the same cocktail which comes out of pancreas so it's like a juice Uh, mixed juice right uh, which acts on this food and then um, do they also identify like carbohydrate you said uh, even for protein and fat uh, do they identify what needs to be used now what needs to be stored for later true so uh, basically if you see the the energy production from these uh, fuel uh, which we eat have uh, are demarcated by the efficiency with which they can be utilized so if you see uh, carbohydrate is the most efficient form of uh, energy source purely because uh, the f- simpler form of carbohydrates can be converted into a- the energy molecules which are called atp uh, or adenosine triphosphate they are the most efficiently the amount of energy and the complexity of that process is the least so uh, whereas uh, the other the next in that sequence is lipids uh, the fat to break down fat and produce energy requires more energy from the body and more effort from the body uh, systems uh, however the amount of energy that comes out of breaking down of fat is far more like every gram would produce 9 calories for fat whereas for every gram of carbohydrate you have 4 calories so although the amount of energy that can be produced by breaking down fat is far more than carbohydrate but the efficiency is not so much so the body would obviously take the more efficient way because it needs energy quickly so you would see that carbohydrate is the first one to be utilized fat is has a tendency to get stored and get utilized only when we are short of carbohydrates in our energy source protein is the last one to be broken down uh, mainly because one it's not an efficient source of energy although it can be utilized for energy production but it's the least efficient source and also it's also nature's way of ensuring that protein is never broken down unless we are driven to the wall because protein is the structure building block of this organ system so all the organ systems all the tissues are made of protein if we start breaking down our protein uh, in comparison to carbohydrates and fats we won't survive uh, so each cell membrane is formed of protein so if i start breaking down my proteins to produce energy 
I can't use that carbohydrates to produce energy because there will be no cell membrane left. So it's it's uh, so that is the sequence in which energy production happens. Okay, and uh, uh, if I have suppose I have consumed excess carbohydrate or protein or fat, are three of these are stored at three different places, or they are stored together at one place, or are they stored in the same form? If it's not used. No, uh, they are definitely not stored in the same form. But storage happens in uh, most important storage form of all such things are liver. Liver is the largest uh, gland as far as the gastrointestinal system is concerned, and it has the cap- capacity to store, and it also would store mainly glycogen. because like i said that's what is utilized every time carbohydrate every time you need energy it's utilized so it's like a sort of a savings account uh, that's something which can be utilized immediately so it gets stored there lipids are stored again in the form of adipose tissue which is uh, usually not in the liver but it will it will be there in all other it, it, in the liver it it usually happens as a disease process you don't want your fat getting stored in the liver so mostly it would be stored in uh, around the abdominal organs like uh, the intestines or what we call as omentum so in the peritoneum then there is it's stored in every organ like uh, the glands especially the glands endocrine glands which produce steroids they uh, the basic requirement is fat because the the basic molecule from which steroid is produced is cholesterol so uh, they store a lot of fat the brain stores a lot of fat because brain requires uh, fat as an energy source uh, so similarly fat is also a good insulator so you would find that fat is sort of a layer almost on every organ it forms a layer so it's not just an insulation it's also a mechanical cushion so you would find that it's sort of encasing everywhere so that's a form of storage uh, protein uh, is stored in the form of structure so protein is used to synthesize muscles used to synthesize every every tissue that you see in the body has protein in it as as its building block so that's where protein gets stored so protein otherwise does not have a storage form like glycogen separately it's formed in every tissues and when tissues are broken down protein is used to again whatever we eaten and broken down to amino acids is used to repair that particular tissue got it and um, and just on protein uh, if uh, if we are consuming protein and it could be excessive for example and uh, say someone is not working out extensively will protein still be needed and i want this myth to be busted because um, uh, people people do think they need to only consume uh, protein not in excess but in sufficiency when they are working out a lot uh the wear and tear that happens in the body is a constant process Uh, and in fact uh, it, it's a very dynamic thing that's happening all the time that we are breaking down our tissues and building them uh, in real time and every time that this is happening uh, the most important part of our nutrition that's required is protein for repair and this repair happens all the time and in fact more when we are actually not doing anything because that's the time the body has got a chance to sort of recover Uh, and and sleep is a sleep is a perfect time to repair uh, so th- so protein in, that's the reason why everybody requires proteins and the 
general uh, formula would be 1 gram per kg ideal body weight uh, is the amount of protein that everyone requires and that requirement basically comes from the fact that our tissues need to be repaired every day uh, and, and for that reason uh, if you work out you would probably require more than that because you are causing more wear and tear uh, and, and that, that's the reason why requirements of protein in athletes or in people who are doing weight training or these things, these kind of activities would go up to 1.7 or even 2 grams per kg. Uh, Got that's, it. That's um, sorry, just, uh, just I have a couple of uh, more questions here. Um, we talked about uh, protein, carbohydrate and fat. If someone has had excess protein, will that get uh, flushed out in that case, in case it's not utilized? Correct. So, uh, that happens to every uh, okay. metabolite that we eat, uh, say, uh, whether it's carbohydrates, fat or lipids. The intestines have a limit uh, and, and they cannot absorb beyond uh, what we are eating. So, they would tend to uh, excrete or even if it is broken down and absorbed, the kidneys would not reabsorb it and that happens quite often in uh, in protein, especially in case of proteins, that too much of protein when it is going through the kidneys, it tends to damage. And that's one of the reasons why uh, it's always uh, said that too much of kidneys may actually damage your, too much of proteins may actually cause some damage to the kidney because as it passes through the tubules, it itself is toxic. So although protein is very good, but when consumed in amounts which are not required may itself be toxic understood another point is on fiber what's happening to the fiber because uh, we've seen um, people keep talking about that fiber is required uh, for better digestion etc and uh, and and so i wanted to understand and help people understand what's fiber doing here in the food yeah fiber has a, a very important role because of multiple reasons. Actually, we still haven't understood the uh, uh, the kind of role that fiber is playing. Uh, we keep learning new things. But the important thing is that most of the fibers are actually complex carbohydrates themselves. Uh, plus, they have certain things like pectins. Uh, so, these molecules, they uh, the most important role that they play is that they create bulk of the food they tend to slow down the absorption uh, of the food that's happening and especially carbohydrates. And the slowing down of absorption makes it more efficient. Uh, it also leads to less spike of glucose uh, while the carbohydrate is getting absorbed after digestion. The less spike on, and a more prolonged plateau uh, that's happening of glucose absorption ensures that there is no insulin spike that would happen. Because that leads to, uh, again, a storage of carbohydrates in the form of fat eventually because glucose gets converted to, along with fatty acids to triglycerides. and So, the storage form of excess carbohydrates is actually fat. So, because glycogen has a capacity. Beyond that, whatever you eat in form of carbohydrates is going to get stored as um, fats. Especially, uh, it happens when there is excess insulin secretion because insulin is an anabolic hormone. And that ensures that everything that you eat gets stored uh, or utilized by cells uh, till the time it's required. 
So the fiber has a role in plateauing this out and ensuring that this absorption happens in a more gradual way and the insulin spike doesn't occur. The other important role fiber has is the transit of food and the digested material for excretion through the intestine for both the small and the large intestine. Uh, and this has also a very positive impact on the way our large intestine functions, which is although it's understood as a purely excretory part of the system, but also has a major role to play in water reabsorption that we, whatever we drink or whatever water is there in our food to get reabsorbed. And so this transit of food that happens through the intestine, uh, the fiber has a very important role to play. Fiber also has an important role to play in the way the fats are absorbed and converted to cholesterol uh, and, and the amount of adiposity that would happen in response to the food we eat. So overall, if you see, the, that's why there is a amount of fiber that one needs to consume at every time uh, along with our meals and not make it absolutely refined uh, kind of food where there's hardly any fiber. Right. Got it. So just just so I understand it absolutely correctly, if we have carbohydrate, the um, first carbohydrate is used as an energy source for uh, anything that the body requires energy. Second, if the storage is required, first place where it gets stored is um, in form of glycogen gets stored uh, um, on liver, for example. And, uh, and then if there is a lot more that's left, that gets converted into fat and then it's, um, it's stored around different other organs, correct? And, and in terms of fat, um, when fat is consumed, um, that's broken down into the um, uh, triglycerides and then stored? Uh, it's broken down to fatty acids and glycerol. Fatty acids. Uh, and these fatty right. acids can then be utilized by various tissues for energy production because carbohydrates has a limit. Fatty acids, there is a lot of fatty acids in the body. If you see the amount, overall amount, if you see... Uh, and so the, they work as energy source. And in fact, some of our tissues, especially the heart, the brain, utilizes fatty acids quite well uh, as an energy source. And uh, even we as uh, athletes or, or people who are into endurance activity would utilize fat uh, when we do something in a very gradual manner for a long time. Uh, so the fatty acid, that's how it gets uh, utilized. However, if, uh, and plus, of course, lots of these organ systems required fatty acids for production of, like I mentioned about the steroid hormones, uh, or even the membranes which are formed in the body, which are cells which are broken down and need to get repaired, they have, the cell membrane have uh, what are called phospholipids. So, while you have the protein in the cell membrane, you also have phospho phospholipid. So, so... Fat is a very important component of each of the membrane. And if you, you can imagine, every organ has so many tissues and each tissue has so many cells. So if you lay out all the cell membranes, uh, it will be a huge ground. Uh, and to create that kind of surface area, you, the amount of uh, fatty acids and proteins required to repair uh, is phenomenal. So that's the reason why we require all this. Uh, and then that's why we... Uh, like, although people feel that fat is bad, fat is very important for all these functions. Yeah, and, and uh, that's where I was getting to, that people need to understand that um, fat is not necessarily the bad thing and uh, they should not be looking at uh, 
zero percent fat diets and and things like those and uh, and thank you for explaining that uh, very well um one other point i had and that is because of alcohol um when people are consuming food um i'm seeing also energy coming from ethanol right how is that different and where do you categorize that in the overall scheme of things true uh, alcohol is called empty calories uh and unlike uh, carbohydrates fats proteins which have uh, basically carbohydrates and proteins give 4 calories per gram and uh, fat is 9 calories per gram alcohol uh, is 7 calories per gram however uh, this is empty because it has no nutritive value so whenever alcohol is consumed it the alcohol itself is a chemical which needs to be broken down metabolized as uh, acid uh, it's what we call as <coughs> acetaldehyde and then acetic acid and then excreted so by itself it uh, it does not contribute to any nutrition as such uh, the calorie that is there is is uh, empty calorie it, it it may get stored eventually as the other sources of fat uh, like fat or carbohydrates and mostly this comes from what we eat along with alcohol so by itself it has no nutritive value uh, irrespective of the calorie which is there and this calorie which is there uh, is eventually going to get stored it cannot be used for uh, energy production and usage uh, utilized the way fat or protein or carbohydrates will be utilized the other thing is that the metabolites of alcohol especially the uh, the aldehyde or the acids which are basically the breakdown products of alcohol are toxic to various tissues and the major toxicity actually happens right where the metabolism is happening and which is liver so that's why alcohol produces maximum toxicity over uh, liver although it also has its toxic effects on the nervous system on the heart uh, wherever uh, alcohol can reach through the blood got it got it and and i think uh, this is a point for um, people to keep in mind if they consume alcohol when they use the words as uh, social uh, drinkers or drinking in moderation that toxicity is there from the unit one level itself um, isn't it true uh, and uh, there is again there is lot of genetics in it so when we say uh, there is an enzyme called uh, alcohol dehydrogenase which basically breaks down alcohol to acetaldehyde and uh, <clears throat> this uh, this enzyme uh, is a protein which comes from which is basically coming from one one of the genes which codes for this protein and uh, this gene uh, alcohol dehydrogenase gene uh, has different forms in different people and it has its capacity so some people have a better capacity to break down alcohol and use it away and throw it away some people cannot do it as well so this genetic variation uh, leads to some people being more prone to alcohol related toxicity on the liver on the heart on the brain compared to others so you would find some people drink alcohol to the same extent or maybe even more but have no issues with their liver or heart but some people have very toxic manifestations even with small doses and there is no way to find out which genetic class you belong to 
so that's why even a small quantity of alcohol is actually uh, not a good idea awesome we spent a lot of time on uh, gastrointestinal system and before we move away i had one last question that is why do we get hungry itself and how does our body sense that we are hungry and how much it needs to consume food <laughs> i think this is one of the most complex uh, things in the body that happens and i think it's a war uh, that we are fighting uh, about the hunger and why should we feel hungry at all because that would sort out most of the problems related to lifestyle diseases uh, but yes hunger is a protective mechanism uh, hunger tells us that we need energy and we are running short on our fuel so it's it's kind of a warning that comes on in your car while your tank is going towards empty uh, but the thing is that this and this is usually uh, contributed to by uh, the signals which would go from the storage uh, forms uh, in the liver or it would go from the amount of blood glucose levels uh, which are there at that point because that gives the signal to the hunger centers in the brain uh, which are perceiving that you are running low on fuel and you need to eat something now this is a very variable kind of uh, response it's not everybody would have the same kind of hunger feeling at the same level of blood glucose uh, or or the same amount of uh, liver glycogen or the fat so this variation is what decides uh, how much you end up eating uh, so but yes it's a protective mechanism because if you don't feel hungry while your blood glucose levels are falling you would end up in hypoglycemia and and may not survive so uh, hunger is a mechanism for to protect us it's basically coming from a part of our brain which is perceiving it through the various presence of metabolites in our body uh this is not absolute mathematical so you would find that hunger has various other components to it which are not directly related to the amount of metabolites we have in the blood so we may end up feeling hungry when we are not supposed to eat uh and and because of the fact that eating food is not just to create that level of blood glucose in the blood it also is to serve certain uh, pleasure centers in the brain which are called like hedonistic uh, kind of pleasure that one derives out of eating food uh, which may drive that hunger center more than the requirement of the metabolite and that is what is one of the key mechanisms by which obesity is driven uh, when you tend to eat when you don't require to eat right yeah the those ice cream cravings or <laughs> or or having pizza cravings etc i think that's what we are referring to isn't it got it got it oh, i think we spent enough time on uh, on this uh, how about we move forward so i think this is this very nicely that it has uh, it has evolved so far that the food comes gets digested um or gets used as energy at uh, uh, by by different parts of the body is uh, stored at different places where when it's not needed etc now what's happening in the in the body uh so uh, you eaten you have uh, created that kind of energy source in the body now you have to use it now various parts of our body systems would use it and the most important uh, part which utilizes uh, this energy uh, is the musculoskeletal system 
because that's en- that's what ensures that we move from one place to the other uh, and do go about doing our jobs for which uh, we are actually living uh, or uh, and that's the reason why we need to eat so that we have that kind of energy to do this kind of activity now so that energy source uh, produces or gives those fuel to the musculoskeletal system and when we say musculoskeletal system it involves the muscles it involves the um, tendons which are basically the structures which connect muscles to the bones and the skeletal system which is the uh, axial and appendicular so axial skeleton is basically the spine and the vertebral column uh, which goes down right from the skull downwards till the tailbone and then the appendicular system which is basically outgrowths from uh, at the upper level at the shoulder level it's for the upper limbs and at the level of the hip uh, uh, or the pelvis it's for the lower limb and they have various muscles which are connected to these bones uh, in a way that they can function to ensure that a person can move from one place to the other now this movement requires energy this these muscles are skeletal muscles uh, they are different from the muscles which are smooth muscles which are there in the heart or they are in the uh, intestines which have their own role but skeletal muscles are there in, because they are under control of the somatic motor system like we discussed earlier so they can move at our uh, volition so so if i decide to move move and get up and walk my muscles should start working so that part of the functioning is by the skeletal muscle for the muscles to work it needs energy because muscles need to contract uh, so that the limbs can move and then relax so that they can uh, lengthen uh, and this contraction and relaxation is a dynamic process which requires the muscle fibers to contract and this contraction happens it's a energy dependent process each muscle contraction requires muscle uh, energy fuel and that basic molecule which is energy fuel in the body is uh, atp uh, adenosine triphosphate and there is calcium which uh, ensures that the muscles would contract so calcium and atp these are two important molecules in the muscle fiber which ensure this contraction and relaxation uh, so this the musculoskeletal system becomes very important and for the muscles to be able to act and ensure that this weight of ours can move from one place to another needs a skeletal system which is strong enough to ensure this muscles are uh, sort of connected to it and it can bear the weight of the individual so for that we have the bones so and muscle and bones are sort of in a harmony again because if you don't have strong muscles there is no traction on these bones and the bones also tend to weaken one of the energy sources for bones to become stronger is the muscular traction uh and similarly the the bones have a architecture which is made of sort of a cement which comes from calcium phosphate and there is a huge amount of protein in the bones which we don't realize we think bones are like dead tissues of like stone but it's not it's one of the most alive and kicking uh, structure it has uh, calcium phosphate which is the cement but that cement is actually laid down on a matrix which is collagen 
and collagen is a protein. So the amount of collagen that's there in all our skeletal system is huge and that comes from protein. So that's again one of the major reasons why we need so much of protein in our diet when we are using our musculoskeletal system. Muscle fibers are made of protein. So, uh, so muscles join to the skeleton by uh, tendons and this connection ensures that we move uh, and that's where the energy uh, fuel requirement happens. And while we've ended our activity, there is a lot of micro tears that have already happened in our muscles. Every time these muscles contract and relax, there are micro tears happening. If you do a more intense activity, there are more micro tears. And this uh, would require repair. And this repair would happen while you are resting. And this repair again requires protein. Uh, and then, of course, the adequate amount of calcium in the blood, adequate amount of vitamin D, which ensures that this calcium would be adequate, adequate amount of cement in the bone, which is basically calcium and phosphate. So calcium, phosphate, ATP, collagen, protein, all this put together forms the most important part of our structural fra framework, which is the musculoskeletal system. Awesome. I think after an hour of discussion, we have reached to the point where uh, people generally associate their fitness with. Um, uh, from the conversations I have had, as well as um, from my anecdotal experiences as well, when people think of fitness, they relate with uh, muscular fitness. Uh, they, they think of aesthetics of how we appear, uh, how stronger we stand, etc., how our postures, etc., are. Um, important, which are, of course, uh, critical as we discussed too. But uh, I think it also shows the importance of um, uh, everything else that we discussed so far. Because uh, it's uh, if everything is not in order, then uh, the muscles are not going to be able to perform. And uh, you very well uh, focused on calcium, uh, protein, uh, collagen. In fact, uh, there had been a lot of hype on collagen protein. Um, you would have seen uh, and a lot of science, a lot of innovation going around that as well, which is, of course, uh, slightly out of this context from this conversation. But um, it's, it's very important for people to understand this. Now I wanted, uh, I have one question here around posture. People talk a lot about posture, which at times seems unnatural. Because uh, we, we, we naturally get used to abnormal activities and so the natural things seem abnormal. Um, so when we are working out, we are told to uh, have an erect position, work out in a particular way, etc. How are these postures maintained and why are we uh, not having those normal postures, how it should be done, how it should be naturally? Yeah, posture is very important because uh... To ensure that our muscles work optimally, they need to be in a position where they can uh, be at the perfect length uh, and, and angle to contract and relax optimally. So, for example, that's where the like form comes for any activity, you need a good form. So, if you are wanting to walk very fast and you tend to slouch and, and so your, your, uh, or your knee is bent, it's not straight. So all these things would ensure that the muscles which are supposed to contract and relax like the quadriceps or the calf muscles are not optimally strength along, allowed to lengthen. If they don't allow to lengthen, they are not going to contract also optimally. So every activity requires a particular form 
which uh, which we call which is basically a, in layman's term a posture uh, which would ensure that we uh, we allow the muscles to be optimally lengthened before they contract now to maintain that posture you need uh, we need to realize that when we evolved from a four legged creature to a two legged creature we we got on to a stage where we had to stand up against gravity and to stand against gravity requires energy uh, we are countering that gravity all the time so uh, this our body would tend to slouch if we don't use that energy and that energy is to be utilized by a set of muscles which we normally don't see uh, as muscles because they are not the muscles that we build and show off these are the paraspinal muscles uh, they are the muscles of the core uh, so the abdominal muscles the uh, rectus abdominis or the transversus abdominis which are in the front and the uh, the spinal muscles which are along the vertebral column now these are the muscles which ensure that uh, and and they are like along the length of the body and if they remain firm and strong they'll ensure that our vertebral column remains erect uh, and and if if our body is straight and erect uh, while we are moving our upper limb or the lower limb the movement would occur optimally and not when we slouch the other thing that is important which impacts the posture impacts activity is that when we do not optimally strengthen our lengthen our spine we are actually impairing the amount of expansion our lungs uh, can do uh, so if our lungs do not expand completely uh, we do not get the adequate amount of oxygen that we can breathe and and hence the uh, oxygen supply to the muscles or the heart or, uh, or the other tissues which require oxygen also suffers so posture has a role in not just the muscular activity but also in the amount of oxygenation that is there in the blood so that it reaches all these uh, musculoskeletal system and other organ systems so that's how uh, posture is important great i think uh, that sums up uh, the musculoskeletal system uh, very well and uh, i'm sure by the end of um, uh, the discussion on musculoskeletal system people have understood um, why they need to to work out why they need to focus on posture and of course how this goes so well with uh, having the right nutrition um, we talked about all of that uh, how do we move forward from here now uh so before i we go away from muscles let me again uh, add some more masala to it basically right. uh, like we thought bone was a very inert um, material just holding on the kind of a framework then later we came to know that it's a very active tissue similarly muscles uh, are not just into contraction relaxation and producing that kind of activity they produce certain chemicals which are now called as myokines uh and these myokines have a chemical activity which directly controls the way certain systems in our body work and two important systems that myokines would uh, impact are one the bone strength so um, these these myokines directly impact the bone strength not just by the traction load on the bones but also through this chemical stimulus and also this myokines also have an impact on the way our fat impacts insulin resistance so if you have more muscles and more myokines it has a positive impact on reducing insulin resistance and the opposite 
would come from the fat which produces certain uh, adipokines they are called which increases insulin resistance so muscles sort of counters the negative impact of the fat in the body and that's how when we say good body composition we mean good amount of muscle uh, in comparison to the amount of fat that is there in the body so that's how important the role of muscle is not just for maintaining a good structure or function but also to ensure good metabolic uh, right which uh, which ensures uh, longevity um, so so extremely important okay awesome so the next next system if you would uh, want to cover is that for all that we've eaten and all that we've utilized in energy source there's all obviously there going to be some waste that is generated and especially when we break down a lot of protein in the process there is generation of uh, this amino acids breaking down uh, into what is called uh, ammonia which is toxic to our tissues and this ammonia needs to be uh, sorted out otherwise this ammonia can kill uh, and that's the reason why this ammonia gets converted to what is called urea by a cycle in the body uh, and this happens mainly in the liver and after it is converted to urea urea is safe because it's water soluble and it can be passed off in the urine so most of our um, urea that's produced due to breakdown of proteins similarly uric acid that's uh, produced due to breakdown of purines which is basically the genetic material which gets broken down as part of the cell getting broken down uh, is excreted finally in the urine uh plus of course all the metabolites that we consume in excess of what we require like uh, electrolytes like sodium potassium uh, or calcium phosphorus all these that we consume uh, when we eat we don't know how much is there in the food but the body knows how much it should retain and whatever is in excess has to get excreted there are certain these are certain of these metabolites which are at a premium means our diet does not have too much of calcium it has a lot of phosphorus but it does not have a lot of calcium calcium literally we need to supplement often uh, so the kidney needs to ensure that it retains calcium and it excretes phosphorus otherwise there will be accumulation similarly it needs to excrete urea uh, through the urine uh, and and that gets so so to excrete all this uh, it needs to produce some amount of urine uh, in a day because you cannot concentrate that urine beyond a certain level so to pro- to throw out those amount of metabolites you need to produce that amount of urine so we generally end up producing about 2 to 3 liters of urine in a day uh, if not more to ensure that all these metabolites are thrown out and also ensures that these metabolites which are at a premium and should not be thrown out they are expensive they are short in circulation then uh, it would retain so kidney does both these functions very well it throws out toxic things it retains things which are important uh and and this function is something which uh is very difficult to replace uh like we do it by things like dialysis in patients in whom kidneys have failed and we've realized that despite the best of dialysis that we have now we are not able to replicate what kidneys can do for us uh, as far, as far as ensuring this metabolic homeostasis uh, in the body is concerned 
Right. And, and we have discussed uh, at length earlier in our earlier conversations why metabolic health maintenance is so important and how nutrition and lifestyle play such a great role in maintaining these. And, and uh, uh, I think uh, uh, in the la- one of the last conversations, you also talked about how blood pressure was uh, impacting kidneys, etc. Um, so it's extremely important to keep that um, in, um, in information as they hear this conversation and maybe they should go back to listen to the conversation before that we have had and we'll also put a note um, in the in the in the footnote here so that people understand uh, but that's extremely important like like what you said just now uh, moving forward how about uh, various external um, conditions uh, that are managed by the body that is uh, are occupational hazards, different um, life situations that happen, etc. Um, and, and we respond in a particular way to those situations. Um, what's happening there and which system is responsible to be taking care of these? Okay, so if we start with the environmental aspects or say um, temperature. So uh, when, when it gets too hot uh, in the summers and the most important thing that happens uh, is the behavioral change that happens. We need to uh, realize that it is too hot and we also need to be protective about uh, whether to venture out in that kind of a temperature or not. Uh, These are behavioral changes uh, or or what kind of clothes to wear. These are the understandings that we need to develop which comes right from the uh, understanding which is at an intellectual level. However, there are tasks which need to be done and uh, the most important part of uh, sort of countering this heat that's happening, uh, which is bound to damage our body because we must realize that we are warm-blooded animals. We have a certain uh, sort of range in which our tissues can function. Beyond that range, whether it is lesser temperature or higher temperature would lead to uh, breakdown of proteins. so whenever there is excessive, like for example, if you sort of heat the milk too much, uh, it may actually break down and you know, uh, denature. So similarly, all the proteins in the body can get denatured if we go beyond a certain temperature. So uh, so to, to ensure at a cellular level this does not happen, yeah. we have certain proteins which are called heat shock proteins. So they are sort of protective in ensuring that they these cells are protected by uh, heat stress. But that's happening at a very cellular level. But at a more larger level, if you see, the body to maintain that temperature uh, requires a few things. Most important thing being that we should have adequate blood circulation. Because blood circulation is something which can take the heat away from us, from the place where there is excess temperature. And, and so it's like a radiator in the air conditioner that it would take, it will circulate and it will keep moving that temperature from one place to the other and, and sort of make it uniform. Uh, to ensure that we are adequately uh, sort of filled up in our circulatory system, we need to have adequate hydration. So amount of water intake because the water losses are going to be much higher at that temperature. So a very protective mechanism that is there in the body is thirst. So we start feeling more thirsty during this temperature because we need to drink water and we need to maintain that circulation and the blood volume. Uh, 
so and also very important is the fact that the blood has to be in a certain amount of concentration which is called osmolality so to maintain that concentration of blood which is a very thin range uh, to maintain that range we have to ensure that amount of water keeps going inside if the blood becomes too thick then we cannot function if the blood becomes too dilute we cannot function so so water intake happens now every time we can't keep drinking water uh, while we are losing water so that's why we don't feel so thirsty all the time although we are losing water all the time because we are breathing uh, water vapor so we have a system in our body where there is a hormone uh, called arginine vasopressin which comes from the brain uh, or the pituitary gland this acts at the level of the kidneys and ensures that when we are not able to drink enough water or the temperatures are going up it's the kidneys start conserving water and uh, so the urine that you produce thereafter firstly you will not produce too much of urine while you are in a hot temperature and even if you produce it will be a very concentrated urine so uh, the amount of water loss will be much less only the waste products which you need to throw out will be there uh so that happens even before you start feeling thirsty and thereafter of course the thirst mechanism will ensure that you are able to uh, drink enough water to ensure that your you don't require only that hormone to take care of your uh, uh water requirement you also are consuming water uh, and the kidneys keep functioning normally so uh, so that's how the body temperature is maintained the body osmolality is maintained Uh, so thirst mechanism arginine vasopressin heat shock proteins uh, these are ensuring that our body is kept cool uh, to function in that range the other stress that can happen is uh, a stress of getting harmed which can be uh, anything like if somebody is coming at us with uh, sort of uh, physically harming us or if there is a fear of getting harmed due to say uh, a vehicle coming at us or or an earthquake or any any kind of a crisis situation happening or a crisis which may not be happening but the body is perceiving it as a crisis now there is the response of one of our most important part of our body called the adrenal glands which produce hormones which uh, give what is called the fight or flight uh, mechanisms so this basically gives us the energy to either run away from that crisis or to stand there and fight for it fight it and this requires a few things most important being that our heart has to start beating faster because the blood circulation or the cardiac output has to increase so that if i have to run my muscles have to get lot of blood and this blood will only come if the heart starts beating faster and uh, has a greater uh, cardiac output and to make that happen uh, we need a uh, two things one part of our nervous system which is called the autonomic nervous system uh, has a sympathetic nervous system sympathetic is what ensures rapidity of everything so the heart starts beating faster it starts beating stronger uh, and and that response happens in response to this stress similarly there is a uh hormone coming from the adrenal glands uh, which are called the adrenaline and the noradrenaline or also called epinephrine and norepinephrine this comes from the adrenal gland which is also part of the sympathetic nervous system and it it 
causes this thing to happen that we get that extra surge of energy which we can utilize either to run away or to fight that crisis uh similarly the at the same time we also need to ensure that our body doesn't get heated up a lot during this fight and flight that's happening because if too much of energy is coming from adrenaline or adrenaline our body actually can get heated up it's like engine overworking so we need a, a radiator there so that again requires the part of adrenal gland to function uh, which are the uh, the cortisol the aldosterone these are the hormones coming from adrenal cortex which ensures that the kidneys are functioning properly to maintain hydration inside maintain the blood volume and also the cortisol which is basically a catabolic hormone which can break down glycogen and produce carbohydrates as a fuel source which can be used efficiently to run away or fight so this is the kind of protective mechanisms we have in our body uh, to ensure that we live uh, even when faced with a crisis right so um, adrenaline or epinephrine i don't know why the names are like two names for the same thing um but um it's it's been called that uh, it's terrific when regulated and it's terrible when uh, when non regulated uh, is that what we are discussing uh, just now correct so this is this is the physiology uh, physiological requirement of these hormones sometimes right. this may go wrong and uh, you may end up because this is something which is uh, protective uh, is required at that stage but then it's like right. it's like fire so it, it it can give you warmth it can keep you warm but if that fire goes out of control it can burn you down so the same thing can happen uh, uh, like we have a condition called pheochromocytoma which is basically a tumor of the adrenal gland which produces lots of adrenaline and noradrenaline and this actually can literally burn you down because of the amount of uh, sympathetic overactivity that it produces uh similarly there there can be adrenal tumors which produce lot of cortisol or a lot of aldosterone and then they produce uh, conditions like cushing's disease or cushing syndrome or there is the uh, aldosteronism which which can cause hypertension uh, hyperglycemia so all these although they are required at the time when you are in stress but if they are happening when there is no stress and it's happening out of control then it can right harm. so it seems like a um, um chronic uh elevated level levels of this could be uh could be harmful and uh, of course managing this is uh, we've discussed again at different uh, places we'll not get into those details but i think uh, the message that we are trying to drive home that is that it's not really a bad thing like how we talked about cholesterol earlier that it's uh, it's required uh for you to have it but it depends on whether uh, in whether you have it in moderation whether you um, have something chronically elevated or it's only there is a surge when there is a requirement for example right correct so uh, the same thing happening at a chronic level or persistently elevated level uh, is damaging because uh, yeah. like i said it's a catabolic hormone so it tends to break down things and you don't want things to be broken down uh, at a chronic uh, level because uh, then where is you need repair also to happen so, uh, so that's the reason why there's the concept of uh, ad, uh, adrenal fatigue like people say because if if you constantly keep using this gland uh, for uh, utilizing this as a source of energy 
the the gland would run out of cortisol uh, to so to say uh, or it will reach a stage where it cannot produce any more and when you want to at that point if you are faced with a crisis you cannot produce any more and you will then crash so so that's something which we need to avoid and that's the reason why rest and recovery is so important and that's why sleep is so important right i think that's where we are we are going to uh, in a minute um just before that i'm also thinking uh, for number of uh, physiologic conditions um you can do certain blood tests or other tests and you can figure out what levels are high or low here in cases of adrenaline or epinephrine or cortisol levels that are elevated can you do a blood test or some sort of test to figure out whether you are in chronically um, elevated stage or uh, or it's uh, only on the basis of perception yeah it's actually uh, difficult to assess because there are criteria of course to say whether your cortisol levels are abnormal uh, and so since there is no particular level of cortisol which is which is abnormal at any point in time because it fluctuates from in a in a range uh and my requirement in a particular degree of stress may be a different amount of cortisol than the other or, or at any time of the day it may be different but uh the important point to remember is that this if it is happening in a physiological uh, range then it should be suppressible by a certain test where we what we do we call it dexamethasone suppression means if i use a tablet of dexamethasone which itself is a steroid Uh, and it is taken uh, it acts on my brain and it suppresses the production of cortisol in my adrenal glands so if my adrenal glands are are under the control of my pituitary gland uh, which normally it should be uh, in that case uh, if i take a tablet of this dexamethasone this is 1 mg it should suppress my pituitary from producing any more uh, excess acth which is the hormone controlling cortisol so this cortisol should get suppressed now if a person has a disease where the cortisol levels are chronically high or they persistently elevated plus they are autonomous in the sense that they are not under the control of brain uh, or the pituitary then even taking this tablet will not suppress it and, and and when that happens then it's abnormal so that's how we diagnose so a level of cortisol may not be abnormal but then if it's not getting suppressed by these suppressed Uh, tests which we do for suppression then we call it uh, as an abnormal level also we can do certain tests where there is a 24 hour collection of uh, urine to see how much of cortisol is produced and excreted in over 24 hours and that also gives us a fair uh, value uh, idea of uh, whether there is an excess production of cortisol understand okay um moving forward uh, and and actually within this as we were talking about you being um, a chronic um, elevated stage of uh, having elevated cortisol etc um related symptoms that we have seen and could be because of this or something else or elevated cortisol is because of that that is uh, you feel stressed and and this is a one common term that we have heard regularly for almost uh, everywhere that um, hey i'm feeling stressed out or i'm just generally uneasy um now why is this happening like what you said the perception of risk or the risk itself or threat itself um 
is this that the body or the the uh, the brain is sending signal that you need to be in fight or flight mode or what what exactly is happening why is someone saying that i'm continuously under stress for example yeah so it's not uh, just a physical thing there's a lot of psychology uh, or the mental aspect of it as well so and and uh, we must remember that when we talk about the endocrine system uh, the endocrine system which is basically related to all the hormones is also Uh, very closely linked with the nervous system uh in fact if you see the uh, pituitary gland which is called the master gland uh is directly controlled by a, a superior master to it which is called the hypothalamus which is basically a nervous system uh it's a part of the brain uh which secretes certain chemicals which control the pituitary and thereafter pituitary controls all the glands so in fact that's one great way in the way the body functions in ensuring that there is a connectivity between what the brain perceives and how various tissues function and this is controlled by uh, two mechanisms one is the wired system which is the nervous system uh, and most importantly the autonomic nervous system and the this unwired or the wire wifi system which is the endocrine system uh, which also has impact on every tissue in the body so what we feel or how our adrenal glands work may not necessarily be due to a stress which is actually there it also may be there in, in what our brain is perceiving which may not be there actually it's just a, a sort of a feeling uh, and and uh, so that's why you will find that people who have certain psychiatric abnormalities especially the mood disorders like uh, depression have uh, abnormally elevated cortisol uh which is basically that connection between the hypothalamus the limbic system uh, of the brain and the uh, endocrine system and so much so that you it it doesn't get suppressed by taking that tablet of dexamethasone so basically that means it's an abnormally elevated cortisol not because the pituitary is functioning more by itself it's because there is certain activity happening in your nervous system uh so similarly if if either there are certain stressors say in work or or in domestic stresses or there are certain psychiatric abnormalities which happen without any stresses being there uh, can impact the adrenal function and the cortisol levels and and hence uh, these levels may impact the rest of the body so that's why you would find that depression may lead to heart diseases or hypertension or or uh, say myocardial infarction basically because of this chronically elevated uh, adrenal cortisol which is then leading to all the metabolic abnormalities got it awesome it's been uh, it's been quite a quite a lengthy and really fulfilling conversation uh, moving towards the the end and if i missed anything please uh, please correct me um from everything that i have understood now the restoration that happens um that's uh, that's important the recovery not only um uh, not only just by resting uh, through the day but also long sleep that's required etc that is helping with the recovery all of these are uh, these are governed by which system and and what's happening during this period now so the brain has a very important part of it called the reticular activating system uh which is basically the system which ensures that we are either awake or we are sleeping uh and so it 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 causes 
kind of a stimulus by itself. It, it, it's like an auto generator inside, which can start giving out impulses and and sort of wake us up from our sleep. Uh, and and similarly, uh, at a point in time, it can uh, reduce its activity and and put us to sleep. Now, this cycle of sleep wake is is has been physiologically arranged with the day night uh, axis that is happening, basically to ensure that when it's dark and when we do not have anything to perform, we are supposed to rest, so we sleep and and we re- regenerate, we recuperate, and then we are active again when the sun comes up. Uh, so that's how uh, this reticular activating system has been designed. Now, all the systems that function uh, in relation to this, especially the endocrine system, has been uh, designed in such a way that our hormones secrete in a different way during day and a different way during night. Uh, since we require this kind of repair that's happening, you will find that all the anabolic hormones tend to increase in levels during night, especially things like growth hormone. Uh, which is ensuring that this repair is happening. It's an anabolic hormone, so it's it's going to lay down the protein matrix, allow the repair to happen. Uh, and this is the time when the catabolic hormones are going down in levels. Most importantly, cortisol. Uh, the, the levels would go down. Even the adrenal steroids like uh, the testosterone, uh, these hormones would go down uh, in levels during night uh, at that time. During daytime is the time when we need to get up, get active, start moving. We need energy. And that's the time you would see that the uh, levels of cortisol start increasing. And that's the time when the uh, levels of uh, testosterone start increasing. So that's to ensure that we are sort of breaking down our metabolites, producing energy and going for activity. Uh, so this diurnal variation of hormones ensures sleep-wake cycle. Uh, and and all the repair that's happening along with the uh, uh, during the rest so this is uh, something we need to understand because the one of the main reasons why so much of lifestyle diseases now are happening is because we we've actually sort of uh, damaged this beautiful way the way this diurnal mechanism is structured of sleep wake cycle and daylight day night cycle uh, we have gone ahead and ensured that all the lights are on 24 hours we can we have created day during night we cannot create night during day unfortunately so the body is just not able to fathom what's happening it wants to shut down but it's not allowed to shut down and before it realizes that it's having too much of fatigue we are again into the day next day uh, and and that's the reason why we end up having a lot of these lifestyle issues uh, which are coming up Right. Yeah, no, uh, that's so true. And um, also keeping gadgets with you forever, always being the elevated stage of being hyperactive. Um, Up until your eyes are shut, you are on phone looking at something and responding to certain things. I think uh, these all are... uh, And I personally felt uh, too and uh, taken various conscious choices, made certain decisions, um, how I want to lead my life. And I've seen over a period of time, it's been, um, it's been very helpful. Uh, through this entire conversation, I know like we, um, I submitted in the start that it may be there will be certain questions that will be very silly. And if there are, uh, please forgive me. Um, I hope we have covered, um, not from a doctor's point of view, but from a layperson's point of view, uh, enough 
that they can understand about their body, they can understand of how the entire body operates cohesively and make sense of certain things. When they think of musculoskeletal system, they need to be thinking of everything else as well. When they think of their digestive system, they need to be thinking of where it's going after, for example, etc. And overall, why they need to be, um, um, be in rejuvenation and be restoring themselves so that the body doesn't break down. All of these are extremely important and I hope we covered all of that. If there is anything that uh, I have missed, please feel free uh, to let us know. Yeah, I think we can probably never cover all this, but uh, I think it's a good yeah. start. We have actually uh, covered the things that we need to know, but uh, I think the uh, better way would be to create curiosity in people to, uh, uh, once right. they go through this talk, for them to understand that it's a very beautiful mechanism and, and this is something which cannot be created. We've been uh, blessed with it. Uh, and actually, if you really want to take care of something that you've been gifted with, uh, I think the best way that you can do is to ensure that you do no harm. And I think uh, the way we can ensure that we function optimally and all our systems function optimally, uh, we need to ensure that we maintain that physiology uh, which the body designed itself to work in, in and not to create certain mechanisms which are making it pathological. Or, or disease oriented so I think uh, that's that's very important and this would only happen if people try and learn uh, this process of evolution and how we became so superior to all other animals and then I think we will be more grateful uh, to nature for having given us all these systems uh, for example I'll just give you an example uh, for the last 90 minutes that we've been sitting and talking we've not had uh, maybe a glass of water We've not uh, even bothered if my brain is getting enough blood. Is there enough glucose in my blood to ensure that I am alert and I remember all my medicine? The, the, all that is happening on its own because my liver re realized that yes, uh, glucose is falling. So let me break down some amount of glycogen. My heart realized that okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about something I'm very passionate about. So it just increased a few beats. Uh, more in uh, per minute so all these things were happening while I didn't even bother to understand and that would only happen if we let it function uh, normally and to let it function normally we need to sort of step back relax sleep and let it restore right so awesome no I think I think uh, I could I could keep coming with the more and more questions and uh, the, and it will just go on forever uh, of course, there are. Uh, it just just started, but I think, like what you said, it will raise some curiosity to to listeners, and uh, they will take better care of themselves going forward. Hopefully, thanks a lot for for joining us today. That was all for today. Didn't you like it? It was fantastic to my mind. I think you might need to then break down this conversation in two or three parts and understand. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you did, please let us know through feedback. We are available on social media almost everywhere and let us know if you have any other questions related to what we covered today. And we would be very happy to pass these questions to Dr. Muthukrishan. Good luck.